0: brought a Bible with you today, please take it out and open it up to the book of Romans. We're in chapter one, Romans chapter one. If you didn't bring a Bible, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. Open it up with us to Romans chapter one. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you after the service. We continue studying through this this amazing letter that the Apostle Paul penned to the church in Rome. And as we've mentioned, he's never been to Rome when he writes this, he will eventually get there, but he's never met the people for the most part that he's writing this letter to, but he has a deep love for them. And he's sharing these amazing truths with them. And last time, if you were with us, we looked at what most believe, and I, I am one of those, is the theme of the letter that he is writing that he gets to right after his introduction in verses 16 and 17, that he will then develop over the rest of the letter. We see, we see that he, he talks of the gospel of God. And in the gospel of God, there is the power of God unto salvation. But as we mentioned last time, this is so important we understand this because the gospel of God, the power of God unto salvation, to be saved, to be saved from what? It's so important that we understand what it is that we are being saved from. And in verse 18, as we started that last time, to be saved from the wrath of God. The wrath of God that is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Again, and we highlighted this word, and it's so important we see this, all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Ungodliness, anything that goes against the character and nature of God. And the character of God can be summed up in its totality in one word, and that is holy. The angels circle the throne continually for eternity. They are not saying love, 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 mercy, 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 or grace, grace, grace. They are saying holy, holy, holy. That word holy means completely other, completely transcendent. And in his holiness, yes, there is grace, praise the Lord, and mercy and love, but there's also justice, and justice is required for a holy God because he cannot have in his presence unholiness and ungodliness, unrighteousness. One thing that I'd like to underscore as we begin this, because so often, and that's, the, that's one of the plagues that goes throughout, is that we can compare sin. Well, mine's not as bad as that. I, at least I haven't killed anybody. We can even go all the way back to the first sin that's recorded for us in Genesis, and we can say, what's the big deal? They just ate an apple or a fruit, before somebody corrects me. We don't know it was an apple. But the bottom line is, guys, let's, we need to understand this right away. Sin has far less to do with the heinousness of the offense as it does the holiness of the offended. I'll say that again because it's important. Sin has far less to do with the heinousness of the offense as it does the holiness of the offended. Almighty creator God, holy, perfect Righteous, pure. The wrath of God revealed against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness, as we touched last time, to those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I mentioned last time that Paul, in the letter, as he kind of lays out the theme for us here, he's going to tell us what he's going to tell us, he's going to tell us, and then he's going to tell us what he told us. He's going to unpack all of this. And we're going to spend some time. Actually, it's from verse 18 where we're going to start today all the way until chapter 3, verse 20. Paul addresses the sinfulness of man against a holy and righteous God. Now... I like you, there's certain neighborhoods none of us like to drive through, there's certain neighborhoods we'd love to avoid, and in all honesty, in my flesh, and all of us would feel a whole lot more comfortable if we just skipped to verse 21 of chapter 3. And let's not address this, let's not talk about it, but it's so important. And my prayer today is that each one of us, again, God would speak to us even as we cover this section today. Let's begin in verse 18 little recap again for last week. We finished here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. It wouldn't be fair for God being holy, righteous, just. It wouldn't be just if God expected certain things but didn't reveal any of those things to us. And Paul is clear in saying that God has made his presence evident. He has made it evident. Because, he says here, he explains it, because that which is known about God, that could be better translated, that which is knowable about God. This this just thought blows me away, that almighty, perfect, holy creator God would bother to make himself known to me. But in his amazing grace and mercy and love, He makes certain things about him known to us. We will never be able to understand and completely grab a hold of the awesomeness of God. Isaiah 55 tells us that his ways and his thoughts are so much higher than our ways and our thoughts. It's as high as the heavens are above the earth are his ways and thoughts above ours. Guys, that's a great thing. Because if God was limited to my understanding and power, are you kidding me? But he transcends all of that. Yet he still makes certain things known to us. What a blessing that is. Deuteronomy 29, 29, says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. He makes... Parts of his glory and his grandeur known to us. He makes it, notice, he says he makes it evident. He makes it obvious. He's not even playing some cosmic game of hide and seek that if you can somehow solve this cosmic puzzle, you win a prize. Makes it evident. He makes it obvious. A child could walk outside and look at the glory of the stars and say, somebody had to make that. Can look around at the beautiful creation that is all around us and say, wow, what an artist. We see in verse 20. And again, notice what the word that verse 20 starts with. For. We talked about this last time. For Paul keeps developing this, tying this previous this statement in with the previous one, because he made it evident within them. God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been note, clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse, clearly seen and understood so that no one can say, well, I didn't know. I couldn't get it. David writes in Psalm 19, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. They're proclaiming it. When we look into the heavens and we see the stars and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. I don't know how many of you make it a regular practice to just spend quiet time out when it's dark outside and you can see the stars. My favorite time of the day is early, early morning, like 3 a.m. early. I love to get a cup of coffee and just go outside and look up at the stars and just glory in in God's creation and just, just praise him for that.
1: Declaring, proclaiming his
0: his amazing goodness, the glory of God, his invisible attributes clearly seen. Now that's kind of a paradox, isn't it? Invisible attributes clearly seen. But we see that type of thing all around us. Even though something is invisible, we see the end product. I can't see satellite waves, but I can turn on my TV and boom, there I know they exist. And his invisible attributes clearly seen in his eternal power, eternal power. We're going to touch on this in a moment, but guys, the, the first thing God created, it tells us in Genesis oneone 1, he created time in the beginning. That means there was a moment in time that it all, all started when time even began. He exists outside of time. He is eternal. He has no beginning and no end. Eternal power that, that with a word, let there be light, spoke it all into existence. Eternal power. Colossians chapter one, for by him, all things were created, all things, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, were thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and note for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. All of his creation by his hand and for
1: his glory. He holds it all together. Verse 21 begins here and lies the problem though.
0: For though they knew God They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. We see that this, this, this proof that God made it evident to us, but we see in verse 18 again, notice, suppress the truth. Suppressing the truth, that means to cover it up. That means to turn away from it. That means to pretend it doesn't exist. But as we pointed out last time, pretending truth doesn't exist doesn't make it less true. Suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Notice again, it is clear here by the word of God that even though they knew God, They knew God. They did not honor him as God. Foolish speculations. Let's let's unpack this a little bit, but we need to all start with with an agreed-upon starting point. So can we all agree that we exist? Because there's some that argue that. That we exist and the the world that we are occupying exists and the galaxies and, and all of that exists. Can we all start there? Okay, so if we're all on that page, there's only three possibilities as to how this all happened. One, it has always existed.
1: Two, it created itself.
0: Or three, something or someone created it. Make sense? And those are the only three possibilities. I want to read from you several quotes, and none of these quotes come from a Christian. Most of them come from atheists and agnostics. Okay? None of these are are Christians. So let's look at the first one. It has always existed. First quote from Stephen Hawking. World famous One of the most brilliant scientific minds of our time. He's a cosmologist, a physicist. He's given his life to the study of the origin and development of the universe. I quote, almost everyone believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning. Science has proved that it had a beginning. It has not always existed. And there's only a handful of people out there that still believe it's always existed, going against all the scientific laws that prove that it couldn't. I want to read it again because he says, almost everyone believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning. Interesting. Isn't that what I just said, that God tells us in the first verse of the Bible that you're holding in your hand? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, he, he, he created
1: time and then everything else.
0: Now, so we can dismiss that out of hand. Science itself, you can, you'll be hard-pressed to find anybody who still believes that it's always existed. Secondly, it created itself, which, quite honestly, again, if we're just going to think of it right off the top, that, that's kind of a ridiculous statement, Once there was nothing, then there was something, and the nothing created the something. That would mean that it had to exist and not exist at some moment in time at the same time. Like I said, I'm not a brilliant mathematician,
1: but nothing from nothing leaves nothing. I will read now a quote from Richard
0: Dawkins, who again, most people maybe recognize that name. Again, an evolutionary biologist, again, a, a, very, a very smart man scientifically, but he has made it his life's mission to destroy any idea of creation, any idea of worship of any God, any kind. He is the leading, probably the leading atheist of our time, Richard Dawkins. This, I quote, the universe evolved literally out of nothing. Literally out of nothing.
1: So again, there was nothing, and that nothingness
0: turned itself into something. Can I just say that probably is not going to hold up in a court of law? (laughs) If evidence is provided, we have your DNA evidence at the scene. I wasn't there. It must have produced itself. Well, it matches directly to you. I'm just telling you, I wasn't there. It must have produced itself. You're not going to get that case dismissed. Yet that's what the world wants you to believe.
1: Yes, God's DNA is all over this thing. But there is no God, so it must have happened by itself. Again, quoting Stephen
0: Hawking, the universe and the laws of physics seem to have been specifically designed for us. I love the fact that he accidentally said designed in there, I'm sure. If any one of about 40 physical qualities had more than slightly different values, life as we know it could not exist. Either atoms would not be stable, or they wouldn't combine into molecules, or the stars wouldn't form heavier elements, or the universe would collapse before life could develop, and so on. So what he is saying is not only did it inexplicably
1: create itself, it randomly did it perfectly. Charles Darwin,
0: who needs no introduction, to suppose that the eye, the eye, with all of its inimitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. So the fact that the eyeball, with all that we can do, colors, distances, changing all of this stuff, to think that that just happened by chance is absurd in the highest degree, yet he goes on to say, I believe it. also quoted as saying just before his death the eye to this day gives me a cold shudder God made himself
1: evident to him
0: so I think what we it, number one's out it's always been here number two pretty much we can eliminate it can't create itself something that doesn't exist can't create itself so that only leaves us with the alternative that There is a creator that something or someone created everything or we wouldn't be here. We would not be in existence. Robert Jastrow, who who was an astronomer, a planetary physicist, one of the leading NASA scientists, also an agnostic, says this, said this, astronomers now find that they have painted themselves into a corner. Because they have proven by their own methods that the world began abruptly in an act of creation to which you can trace the seeds of every star, every planet, every living thing in this cosmos and on the earth. And they have found that all this happened as a product of forces they cannot hope to discover that there are what I or anyone would call supernatural forces at work is now, I think, a scientifically proven fact. Supernatural forces had to be in play. And he calls it a scientifically proven fact. I love this next quote, also by Robert Jastrow. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. He pulls himself over that final rock and he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. <laughs> I got this all figured out. Okay, it, it, it couldn't have happened by itself. It couldn't. Have, you know, we're like, hey there, how you doing? Can I, Genesis one one, right here. Oh, it can't
1: be. Back down. And...
0: One last quote. Anthony Flew, who at one time again, like Richard Dawkins, devoted his life to destroy any idea of a creator in his own estimation, was the the biggest atheist in the world, wrote a book called There Is a God, How the World's Most Notorious Atheist Changed His Mind. (laughs) He says this, I now believe there is a God. I think it, the evidence, does point to a creative intelligence almost entirely because of the DNA investigations. What I think the DNA material has done is that it has shown by the almost unbelievable complexity of the arrangements which are needed to produce life, that intelligence must have been involved in getting these extraordinarily diverse elements to work together.
1: By their own lips. Even though they knew him as God, they did not
0: honor him as God. That word honor there is praise, give glory. It's the same word used in verse 23, where it tells us that they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. And that's the problem. That that in lies the whole problem. They didn't honor him as God, because if they honor him as God, they give him glory as God. If he is God, that means I'm not. And if he's God and I'm
1: not... I'm accountable to him.
0: And if he's God and I'm not, and I'm accountable to him, that means I need to do what he says. That means I need to follow after his direction. And if not, I deserve to be punished for that. I deserve to be punished. The wrath of God, if I'm not willing to follow after him, I owe him everything. Every breath I take, I owe to him, but I don't want to go there. I want to be in control. I want to make my own decisions. I don't want anybody telling me what I have to do.
1: And because of that, notice
0: it tells us they became futile in their speculations. That literally means they became, it became nonsense in their reasoning. It doesn't, it, they're, they're worthless thought. It doesn't,
1: it, none of it goes anywhere. Again, once
0: nothing, now something, but no Creator. Perhaps you've heard the, the story of, of a, a creation, creationist wrote a, a, and discussed this as the, the possibility. Just imagine the possibilities. If you had a bag and you put in that bag everything that is required to build a wristwatch, every piece of component, all, put all the pieces in there, and you shook that bag for a trillion years, you would never come
1: up with a watch. And
0: again, Richard Dawkins says, that's ridiculous. That, does, that, that example can't be used because of all of these other forces involved and all of this other kind of stuff. And I'd say, you know what? You're right, Richard, because it, it is ridiculous. Because if we're really going to be about it, we don't get any of the pieces to, of the watch to begin with. And you have nothing but a bag full of air. However, as somebody wisely pointed out last night, you don't have air or a bag either. <laughs> and somehow you're going to, Shake nothing and a watch is going
1: to come out. Foolish. Young people especially hear me.
0: The world that you live in right now is after your mind. It is a battlefield of the mind. They are trying to convince you of something right now that in just a couple of minutes, I believe you could honestly say, that makes no sense. But the world is going to try to tell you that if you believe in a creator God, you're a fool. The word of God says they're the fools. They're the ones who know the truth. I've read quotes from them. These are not Christians I read quotes from. These are atheists. The ones who who are propagating all of this stuff that they're trying to convince you of as fact. They're going after your mind. That's the enemy's battlefield in this whole thing. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect.
1: The world wants to
0: conform you to what it's thinking, to what it's propagating. Again, calling those who believe in a, in a creator God as fools, that it's nonsense. But isn't it far greater nonsense to think that this all
1: created itself?
0: God has graciously revealed himself to us, made himself evident to us, but it doesn't just stop there. This creator, almighty, perfect, holy God desires to have an intimate, personal relationship with you, his created child. He loves you, and he wants a relationship
1: with you. But professing
0: to be wise, they became fools. There's a huge danger sign right here in these verses. It says, their foolish hearts were darkened turning away from the light, suppressing the truth, covering their eyes, la, 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 I'm not going to look, blah, blah. Their foolish heart became darkened. Notice what it says in verse 24. Therefore, because they insisted on this and kept pushing and pushing and pushing, therefore God gave them over in their lust to the, in the, of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. God clearly reveals himself to us, but he gives us a choice. This word, God gave them over, is used three times. Once we're gonna look at today, twice, Lord willing, next week. Gave them over. Eventually, if you keep hardening your heart and hardening your heart and hardening your heart, God will give you what you want. Unfortunately, you have no idea what you're asking for. Verse 18 tells us, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. The wrath of God. The wrath of God. An eternity spent in hell and in torment forever. Hell was not created for us. Hell was created for the fallen angels, but if we insist, God will let us go. Facing the wrath of God forever.
1: But praise the Lord for verses 16
0: and 17. Paul, who was once in that boat, lost now knowing the Lord, as his, Lord Jesus as his Savior says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in, the, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Praise God, it's not just the wrath of God. There is the gospel of God, the good news. The wrath of God is bad news. The, the gospel of God, the good news. We've been speaking of the, up to this point of creation that is often known as general or natural revelation, but God didn't stop there. If you get to that point in your heart and you want to know Him, He has what's called special revelation, where He reveals Himself more fully and personally through His Word, the living Word of God. What we hold in our hands is not a book, it's the living Word of God that He has given to us. And it's not just creation it's not just his living word in our hands the author of hebrews starts out his letter this way god after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he has made, had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on
1: high. You see,
0: all of us are sinners. All of us, unrighteous, ungodly, unholy. And none of us in our own strength and in our own efforts can change that or fix it. But God, in his great love for us, he so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. He stepped out of heaven, became one of us. Lived a perfect, sinless, holy, righteous life among us. The life that you and I are required to live, but don't. He did and then gave that life on the cross for us. Suffering and dying in our place, taking the death that we owe, taking it upon himself. He became ungodliness, unholiness, unrighteousness. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. His righteousness imputed to us, given to us, clothed in his righteousness. Guys, the cross shows us how much God hates sin. And it also shows us how much God loves us. If you're here today and you have never taken that step to surrender your life to Jesus. You've never trusted in him and him alone for your salvation. Perhaps you came in here a skeptic. Perhaps you came in here an atheist. Perhaps you came in here today believing in evolution, believing the lie that the world has been has foisted upon you. I would ask you today to respond to that prompting in your heart. That's the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Today, you can have all of
1: your sin forgiven. Everything. Today,
0: you can know that you have eternal life. Today, you can know without a shadow of a doubt that you will not face the wrath of God, but the love of God forever in heaven because you can be clothed in his righteousness. It's not a matter of something you do. It's a something that Jesus did for you, but you need to embrace that.
1: But before we close, I wanna talk to everybody else in the room today who is a born
0: again believer. Because I think so often we can all probably think like, like I did this week. I, I can't tell you how many times in my life I've read this section that we're going through right now. And my response always fools. Of course
1: there's a creator. Of course God, almighty God, the creator. And somehow I'm patting myself on the back. You know what James says about that?
0: James says, oh, you believe God is one? You believe that he's created everything? Congratulations. The demons believe that too.
1: And they have sense enough to shudder at that truth. I want to go back for a second to verse 21.
0: It says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Again, as I mentioned, Paul is penning this and he's speaking to those who have been given this general, natural revelation. They knew God that way, yet didn't honor him as God. Guys, as Christians, we also have the special revelation, his word of God that tells us how we are to act and how we are to walk and how we're to treat each other and how we're to do all of those things. And if we don't follow what God's word tells us, we're not honoring him either. We don't honor him as God. The Bible, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength.
1: How many of us are willing to do an inventory on that today? Do I truly love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Jesus said, if you love me, and you call me Lord, why don't you do what I say? Is there any
0: area in your life that you could say, you know, this this is an area that I've held back. I honor God with 99% of my life, but this
1: 1%, this is mine.
0: Honor him. That means to give him the glory that he's due. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets.
1: David writes in Psalm
0: 139, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. God, is there anything in my life that's not pleasing to you? Anything in my life? And it might be something that a few years ago, even as a Christian, you had no issue with. God didn't lay that on your heart, but today he is. Jesus said, by this, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The world's going to know you belong to me based on how you treat each other, based on how you love one another.
1: And again, to go to James, he always has a
0: nice fine point for us. He says in chapter 3, verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. I know all of us would love to say, I don't struggle with that. Don't have a jealous bone in my body. I don't have any ambition <laughs> other than what the Lord might bring me. Let me just give you a simple, just little litmus test. And again, any, any, personal, con, any personal pokes and prods in this is purely convictional.
1: <laughs> when you see somebody else succeed. Is your response rejoicing in that? Or is there a part of you that says that should have been me? I'm more talented than they are. I'm smarter than they are. How come they get recognized and I don't?
0: How about if you see somebody fail? Perhaps somebody even that you've had a disagreement with or had a had a problem with in the past, and you see them stumble, you see them fail, you see them try something and it doesn't work out. Is your heart broken for them? Or is there a little piece inside that says,
1: I saw that coming? If I was there, it wouldn't happen. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. James always has a way.
0: But, praise God, the Holy Spirit didn't stop James at verse 16. He says, in verse 17, he gives us the outline of what it should look like. Wisdom, this love that we share with one another, is, if from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. First, pure. Again, we come back to that, that part we started with in this whole thing. Do I truly love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Pure, that means clean. Parents, you have a different definition of clean than your kids? Hey, My, my son says, Dad, my room's clean. What do you want? <laughs> it's not our definition of pure. It's not our definition of clean. It's his. Is my heart truly right with the Lord? That's where it it says, first pure, then peaceable. Tranquility, calmness. We're challenged in Romans chapter 12. If possible, so far as it has to do with you, be at peace with all men. Be at peace with all men. Now that is impossible in the world that we live in because some don't want to be at peace with us. But Paul challenges us, As much as it has to do with you, make sure you're not even 1% of the problem. Be at peace with all men. Gentle. Difficult word to translate from the Greek, but basically it means doing what is morally right, doing what the word of God says is right, even though I have a legal right to do something else. We're going to look at how Paul describes that in a moment. Reasonable, that means compliant. Again, deals with obedience. Jesus said, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. If you're going before the Lord and you're praying and you're worshiping and you're, 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 you're before him and, and on, he lays somebody on your heart, don't dismiss it. Go deal with it. Our, our response most of the time is, well, it's not my fault to begin with. I didn't do anything. It's all their fault. Notice it says, has something against you. Not that you have something against them. God reveals it to your heart. And that's the key. Because you could go running around trying to, trying to patch up everything. God reveals it. Go deal with it. Full of mercy. Mercy, again, is not getting what we deserve. Again, we don't, through, through the Lord Jesus, we don't get the wrath we deserve because he took it. Mercy is extended to us, not getting what we deserve. We are to be full of mercy, full. I notice that he doesn't say full of reason. He says full of mercy. Because as we walk this life, guys, we have to be full of mercy because we could go around and say, they deserve this, they deserve that, they deserve this. But praise God that he has dumped mercy on me. Full of mercy is extending that to one another, understanding that we're all sinners saved by grace. Full of good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility... Again, opposite of what we talked about earlier, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Putting others above ourselves. I've shared this acronym many times before, but it bears repeating, joy. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. You want joy in your life? Order it that way. Because if we all live that way, and again, this is, I believe, Jesus' point. The world's going to know that you belong to me if you have love for one another. If we all do that, the world's going to say, wow, they're different. But look how happy they are. Look at the joy that they have. And the beautiful part about that order, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. If we all truly do that, that means I'm looking out for your best interest. And you know what the benefit of that is? all of you are looking out for mine. If it's just me looking out for mine, that's all, I, I much prefer all of you looking out for me. I'll look out for you. Let's do that.
1: Joy. The world
0: will know we belong to Jesus by our love that we have for one another. Also, to give thanks. They did not honor him as God or give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything, give thanks. I I often comment on the qualifiers that are in God's word. It doesn't say in most things, give thanks. It doesn't say in the obvious things, give thanks says, in everything, give thanks. Guys, we are so blessed, so blessed. And I know I'm, I'm not revealing anything marvelous to you right now. We are so blessed. The fact that we can do what we're doing right now, right here, we are in a much more blessed situation than a lot of our brothers and sisters who can't meet when the lights are on and in a large group and have amplification of any kind. They have to meet in small groups and whisper because their lives are threatened by the fact that they're Christians. We get to do this. We are so blessed to live here. We're so blessed with all of, the, all of these other things. And as Christians, again, we can just go through the list. Again, blessed that we've been saved from the wrath of God. We can go through all of those obvious things. But what about the not so obvious things? Because it says in everything. story is told, Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy, if you're not familiar with them, they, their entire family was arrested by the, the Nazis during World War II and taken to concentration camps because they were housing and hiding Jews in their home. So they were taken to the concentration camps as well. And they get to this one particular one that was so bad. The barracks that they were in was just so disgusting and so unkept. And Corey speaks of the fact that the fleas were so thick, you almost had to cover your mouth just to breathe. There were fleas everywhere. It was just the most horrific scene you could imagine. And Betsy, one day, when Corey was complaining about the fleas in the morning, she said to her, She said, Corey, thank God for the fleas. Thank God for the fleas. Why in the world would I thank God for these fleas? And Betsy said, did you realize that since we've gotten here, every morning we are able to have Bible study and devotions and prayer because the guards don't come in here because of the fleas.
1: (laughs) Do you thank God for the fleas? Understanding that God is doing something far greater And we could imagine.
0: My challenge in this today wasn't to, to make us feel all guilty. My challenge for each one of us today as Christians is to give God
1: the glory and honor that he's due. To honor him as God, our God, and to give him thanks. Would you please stand with me? We worship him together as we close. Let's give him that thanks and praise. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you. Who you are. For all that you've done. For
0: revealing yourself to us. For making yourself and your creation and and who you are evident to us. And if you're here today and you have never taken that step of surrendering your life to Jesus, there are not a bunch of hoops to jump through. As a matter of fact, you don't jump.
1: In your heart, you kneel down.
0: Go before God right now and respond to the Holy Spirit in your heart. You say, God, I thank you for revealing yourself to me. I thank you for making it evident.
1: And I come to you as, as a sinner, ungodly, unrighteous,
0: in desperate need of salvation. I need to be saved. And Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you took the wrath of and the punishment that is due me. So right now, I ask you to come into my life. I give you control. Come into my heart and wash my sin away. Clothe me in your righteousness and give me that gift of eternal life. I don't understand everything that's going on right now, but I understand I desperately need you.
1: Lord Jesus, as we lift up your name as we honor you as our god
0: lord in this moment would you search us do reveal to us if there's anything in our lives that's not pleasing you there's any relationship that needs to be mended if there's any anything that we we need to do because in our own pride and and ambition we've we've turned our back to what it is that you would have us lord we turn to you now we confess we repent we come back to you in all of these areas we give our lives we lay them down before you lord your word promises that if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us of all our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So do that work afresh in us now, Lord, as we lift this song of prayer again to you together this morning.